We've not done this before, uh, a series uh, on wisdom, and we're titling it Wisdom in a Wikipedia World. Uh, I have uh, brothers and sisters who are anywhere from nine to five years older than me, so I grew up listening to 60s music, like uh, some of you might have. So I remember being probably in elementary school and, uh, and being told that, uh, as Simon Garfunkel said, that the wisdom of the prophets are written on the subway walls. I don't know why, that, that line just sticks in my brain. One of my brothers and sisters must have really liked Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, these days we might say that uh, the wisdom of the world is written in little bits, these binary little bits that are all over the place, because literally, I mean, sometimes today if I'm writing a book or writing a sermon or something and I'm sitting at my desk, I no longer have books all over my desk. I mean, sometimes I do. But basically, if I want to know anything, it's if a little reference, if it's a footnote, if it's a lyric, like if I'm writing a sermon and I want to know, oh yeah, what's that lyric? You just go to lyrics.com and you type in a lyric and Lord, it finds it. I mean, there is more information available today by far than at any other time in human history. All you got to do is just think Google, Wikipedia, YouTube, Amazon, online dictionaries, online encyclopedias, blogs. And if those all fail you, bathroom walls, right? I mean, it's just everywhere. Cable news, I mean, this is, information is everywhere. I mean, literally, you can do a search, I've done this, and you'll come up with hundreds of Microsoft jokes. You'll find Linux jokes, Unix jokes, Cisco jokes, IBM jokes. There's even jokes about bloggers. So think about it. Why are there no jokes about Google? I think we're all afraid. I think Google is so formative that it's sort of like not funny. I think we're all afraid that if we joke about Google, we're going to end up being punished and sent to search engine hell. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so your thing, like if Google finds out, you know, they're joking about them, I think we're all afraid that our entry will show up down at the bottom of the page, you know, that they'll, they'll bump us down. And what do you call those, those search engine optimizations or something? like that. They're all going to be bumped down if we somehow mess with Google. Well, here's the deal. Every advance in humanity is simultaneously a moral challenge. And that, I want to say, is the day that we live in, and and it's what makes wisdom to be so prized today. I mean, think about it. When people discovered water, it quenches my thirst. But if somebody ticks me off bad enough, I can also drown them in it. We discover fire, and human beings discover that we can warm ourselves with this fire. But again, if I get mad enough at the neighboring village, I've discovered that if I put fire on the end of a pole, I can take that pole and burn down their house. Mankind discovers the wheel, and they think, man, this is really good. It helps us bring the game or the crops in from where they are to our house. These wheels really help. But they also help us get guns wheeled over to this ridge where we can fire on this village that we're mad at. So you just go on and on. Think gunpowder. Think atoms and atom bombs. And on and on and on. Every advance in humankind is always simultaneously a moral challenge. And I want to say we live in such a day. And this is why I want to do this series on wisdom. Because wisdom is really about how life really works. And knowledge about how life really works is really right now at a low ebb. And I think it's being pressed down under the pressure of lots of competing information. 
There's so much information out there. I think it's one of the reasons it's driving people to think, well, where is truth really? And if there is really a truth, how can I actually apprehend it? Can I apprehend it? Can I apprehend it with any confidence? Can I have any certainty that I'm getting anywhere near what truth really is? And can I pick it up and use it? And James helps us see this this morning when he says there is a wisdom, a quote, wisdom, that doesn't come down from heaven, but rather it's earthly and unspiritual and of the devil. If, if James doesn't grab you, maybe the prophet George Carlin will. George says, America has become a nation of, quote, bigger houses but smaller families, more conveniences but less time, wider freeways but narrower points of view, taller buildings but shorter temp- uh, tempers, more knowledge but less judgment, less of what the Bible calls wisdom. So on the one hand, we can stop and think the world has changed so much. But on the other hand, as I've said, nothing has really changed. In that sense, I think we can say that Proverbs is the most relevant book in the Bible. And if nothing else, hide this one in your heart as it kind of frames everything that we're going to do in this series. As Solomon said, put everything you have into the care of your heart, for it determines what your life amounts to. Now think of all the things that we could put in that sentence. Put everything you have into the care of your investment portfolio. Put everything you have into the care of your friends or family. I mean, we could fill in the blanks many ways, but Solomon tells us if you want to get right down to the core of what it means to live in biblical wisdom, he says, put everything you have into the care of your heart, for it, your heart determines what your life amounts to. And there Solomon is giving us the basic path into wisdom. And so I just want to stop for a moment this morning as we get into this and think, well, what is wisdom? What do I mean when I use that term wisdom? Well, first of all, wisdom is for anyone. Wisdom is not for the especially smart. In fact, many intellectually average people actually excel in wisdom. Wisdom is ways of learning. Think about it this way. It's ways of learning before you have to learn the hard way. It's insight, it's discernment for living. In fact, interestingly enough, the the synonyms in the ancient Hebrew world out of which this wisdom of Solomon comes, the ancient synonyms for wisdom were happiness and the good life. So, I mean, this is an easy, obvious example, but all you have to do is is think about people who, uh, who, who start for some reason messing around with meth. Because they honestly believe it's the, it's the path to happiness. They honestly think it's the path to the good life. And then you find them later on in prison and destroyed lives or whatever, and you find out that there really is going on today a choice that every human being has to make. Arguably the most fundamental choice that anybody will ever make is this. From whom are you learning to do life? Because whether you're conscious of it or not, all of us have chosen. Nobody is living life on their own. Everybody is following someone. And so James says there's a wisdom that's earthly and it's unspiritual and it it doesn't really work. It's impractical. And he even says it's of the devil. And then Proverbs comes along and God comes along and says, but there is a way of doing things that actually does lead to a kind of happiness, to the good life. So what Proverbs is trying to teach us is the art of living skillfully. 
these are not primarily moralisms. I mean, obviously, they, they, they help us shape a moral life, but what's at play here isn't merely moralisms. It's some, it includes that, but it's something more than that. It's the art of skillfully living with the actual people and events of our lives. So it has more to do with honoring our parents, raising our children, being a spouse, handling money, conducting our sexual lives, using words well, treating friends kindly, engaging with the things of life like eat and drink in healthy ways. This is what James means when he says, who's the wise and understanding among you? Let that person show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. For that wisdom, now think of all those things, parents, children, spouses, money, sex, whatever. That wisdom comes from heaven, and it's first of all pure. It's peace-loving. It's considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit. It's impartial. That is to say, it's not judgmental or um, any kind of racist or any kind of other ist. And it's sincere. Okay, so, but how does wisdom have this profound effect? How does this actually work in our lives? And here's the main thing that I think Proverbs wants us to hear. It works this way, that what you think of and how you respond to God, let me say that again, what you think of, how you think of God, and how you respond to Him is the most practical thing you'll ever do. Because once we've done that, once we've, once we've decided, is God, is He actually utterly competent love, or is He somehow capricious? Or is there something going on in the world that He's not in charge of? Once you make that sort of fundamental decision, then you've aligned yourself with this wisdom that comes down from heaven, or this other wisdom that's unspiritual and untrue and actually doesn't work. And so the Proverbs are, and James and Jesus are asking us this morning to make that decision. That the practicality I'm talking about here is not the kind of practicalness that one can get from a college education. Now, I'm not down on that. I've got all kinds of degrees. I'm simply saying that the conferring of a diploma does not um, automatically lead to wisdom. All you got to do is look around at all the really smart people who have destroyed their lives. And they've got some of the most profound degrees from some of the most pro profound degree-granting institutions in the world. What, no, what Proverbs is talking about is a kind of action. It's a practice. It's skills. So I want you to look at your bulletin right now, and let's look at these Proverbs. And I want you to note how much these are really action words. So find that page in your bulletin where we've got the Proverbs that we read. And I just want you to note how active this life of wisdom is. Accept my words. See it there? Store up my commands. See how these are actions, practices. Turn your ear. Apply your heart. Call out for insight. Cry aloud for understanding. Look for it as you would for silver. Search for it as you would for hidden treasure. Then, did you catch that? Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. As you engage in these practices of looking for God's wisdom, trying to tune your ear to it, applying yourself to it, calling out for it if you need it, crying for it, looking for it. James in our reading puts it this way. If any of you can see it there on your page, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And this wisdom will be given to him. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. 
because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Now, James here is saying something very similar to what Jesus said when Jesus gave two of his most famous parables. When Jesus talked about the parable of the treasure buried in the field and the parable of the pearl of great price, Jesus gave those parables to help people come to points of clarity. They were parables intended to help people to intend to follow him or not. To either seek after wisdom and the Jesus way of life, the way of Jesus, or not. And Jesus was simply saying that if you value this, if you value me and my kingdom and the way of Jesus and the wisdom and the kind of life that is commended by it, then you'll simply organize your life to get it. You'll do all those action things. You'll accept, store up, turn your ear, apply, call out, cry aloud. You'll do those things if you really value this wisdom. But it's important to say, I think, that wisdom is not the removal of all doubts. Wisdom doesn't mean that we, that we uh, sort of never wonder or doubt again, but it does mean this, that for each of us, we need to come to grips with the temptation to double-mindedness. That's what James is getting at. If you're double-minded about this, then you're not likely probably to arrange the affairs of your life to get that pearl or to get that treasure buried in the field. Actually, the word means something more profound. It means something like if you're double-souled. If in your soul there's this doubling that's happening, not a simplicity or an alignment. And so what James and Jesus are both saying is that somehow we do, even though we're always going to have doubts and even though things are always going to go wrong, we have to make this fundamental decision to choose a path for our life. Now, again, I want to say that it, it, it doesn't mean, you know, you're never going to doubt. And biblical wisdom doesn't mean that you have to live into some sort of perfection. Clearly, I don't. I mean, I know what people say about me behind my back. Gee, Todd's really nice. Todd's really kind. Todd's really generous. You know, Todd really considers others. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah, I know. That's largely true. You want to know why? 35 years of battling a really, really pronounced angle towards selfishness. Really, really profound selfishness is buried deep within me. I don't know where it comes from, but I have fought it for 35 years. The whole time I've been a Christian, in every way I know how. But I did make a choice. I mean, I don't live into it perfectly, and I, I struggle with it. But I did fundamentally make a choice that the world would be a better place if I was oriented towards you and not to myself. See, that, ori- that orients how I spend my money. It orients how I spend my sexual life. It orients everything. That's the basic decision that we're being asked to make this morning. That's the double-souledness that Solomon and Jesus and James have in their mind when they say, make a basic choice here. What are you going to per- pursue? As you pursue it, you're going to pursue it with doubts, and you're going to pursue it with ongoing temptation, and you're going to occasionally fall. But make a basic choice. Because here's, here's what I want you to see, that it's possible to sincerely be following someone. Like, what if I, you know, some, I have this little dream that someday I want to start playing piano again, and, and I want to learn jazz and blues piano. 
So I, I find a teacher somewhere here in Orange County, and I sit down with them, and I really give themself to me as, uh, I give myself to them as my teacher, and I start to play. Well, as soon as I start to play, it's going to be completely clear that I'm a raw beginner, and I'm not going to play perfectly. But what else is going to be completely clear is I have submitted myself to that teacher, and I've decided to play. So perfection's not in view here. All absence of doubt is not in view here. What's view here is have you made the decision to learn to play, and have you submitted yourself to that teacher? So as one of my favorite scholars, N.T. Wright, puts it, he says, life in and through the wisdom of God is not a pleasant religious idea that you might like to explore someday when you have a spare hour or two. It's not an attractive exhibit at a museum that you might want to swing by the next time you're in that part of town. No, Tom says, this wisdom is more like a fabulous hoard of treasure. It's yours for the taking if you'll sell everything else to get it. That is, if by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, if you'll arrange the affairs of your life to get it. Or as another man puts it, Unless we see the, superior, the superiority of a life rooted in the ancient and Jesus wisdom of the kingdom of God, we're not likely to actually become followers of Jesus. Now, that is in view. We do have to make this fundamental choice. Do we see a superiority of life that's rooted in this ancient wisdom from Solomon and James and Jesus and up to today? For the promises are, if you look back at your Proverbs... The promises are, is if we'll seek this way, God says there's a blessing in it. Look at the Proverbs. It says, for the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And so, again, look at these words of blessing. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman who gains understanding. For she, and this is what the Proverbs does to wisdom, uh, Proverbs loves wisdom so much that, that um, Proverbs personalizes her. So there's a personification here. That wisdom is more profitable than silver, yields better return than gold. She's actually a tree of life, and if you lay hold of her, you'll be blessed. So when Haggai was prophesying to the nation Israel as they were going about, you know, building their own houses and taking care of their own life and not giving any kind of uh, time, money, or energy to building the things of God, Haggai said to them, give careful thought to your ways. Meaning evaluate, repent, consider your ways, examine your heart, notice, this is what he's really saying, notice the outcomes of your behavior. If you were to ever ask me as like a spiritual friend, spiritual coach, spiritual mentor sort of person, um, you know, how can I take some first steps into this? Probably the very first thing I would ask you to do is over the next few days or weeks, notice the outcomes of your way of life. Look at your actual present behavior and just notice it out, its outcomes. Don't judge yourself. Don't even necessarily judge those outcomes. Just be aware of them. Just begin to be present to the outcomes of your life. That's what Haggai was asking the people to do. What Haggai was saying is, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. You're sowing more than ever, but notice the outcome. You're harvesting less. You're eating and drinking more, but notice the outcome. You're enjoying it less. You're wearing more, but feeling colder. See, he's not asking them, first of all, to notice what they're doing. He's asking them to notice the outcomes of what they're doing. Here's why. As C.S. Lewis said, God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. 
Lewis says, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And this is what the proverb means when it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This is what Matthew means when he says that wisdom is proved right by her actions and the outcomes that come from them. This is why in our gospel reading, when the people heard Jesus and saw him, when they noticed the outcomes of Jesus' life, what happened? They were stunned. They were amazed. They saw how as people heard Jesus' word and began to align their life with it, that stunning transformation was happening all around them. Their neighbors were becoming literally different kinds of people. As Jesus laid his hands on people, demons fleed, and and the dead were raised, and lepers were cured, and people walked, and all kinds of amazing things happened. Those were the outcomes of his way of life. And what the Bible is telling us when it says wisdom is proved right by her fruit or her children or by her wisdom is it's saying that, look, if you want to look at the outcomes of someone's life, someone who's actually hooked into the wisdom of God, I mean, obviously in this unspeakable Trinitarian way, But if you want to see somebody who's actually living out of a life of God and what the affect of that can be, look at Jesus. And the outcomes are the affect of his life. So the wisdom of God is proved right by its actions. Here's the big thing you can take to heart this morning. It turns out, it just turns out, that following the wisdom of Solomon and Jesus does not destroy our lives it actually fulfills them. What the Bible's teaching us this morning is that the wisdom of God regarding a faithful marriage is proved right. That adultery always leads to trouble. The wisdom of God in hard work is proved right. That laziness always leads to trouble. The wisdom of God in the Sabbath is proved right. That overworking, here's another one I battle with, always leads to trouble. The wisdom of God is actually proved right. Yet we have to again ask this question that the texts are asking us to ask this morning. Who is it who actually searches for wisdom? Now, we won't talk about us because that, that, that goes from preaching to meddling. So we won't talk about us. But let's say there's a group of strangers out there on the quad And I say, over here, there's going to be a line for who wants to be a millionaire. We're going to go on this show over here called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And everybody on this side who wants to go to a show called Who Wants to Be Good, you go over here. And everybody who wants to go on a show called Who Wants to Be Good, you line up on this side of the building. Everybody who wants to be on a show called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, go over here. Now, that is just a modern-day parable. That is just like Jesus saying, are you willing to organize the, the things of your life around pursuing the Jesus way and its power and its authority and its goodness and its, transfer, its transformative effect on one's life? That is the basic decision that the readers are asking us to make. And there's various paths to that. Some people come to it by guilt. They really do. They come to it by wondering aloud in in their own mind, what should I do? I kept wondering what I should do. But if only I'd chosen another course of action. Some people begin to pursue wisdom out of confusion. They wonder, why did this happen to me? Where did I go wrong? Is God punishing me? Is God even conscious 
Does he even care that I'm going through this? Some people start pursuing wisdom out of kind of a paralyzing fear as they wonder aloud in their own heads, I just don't know what to do. And what I want to say this morning is that we don't pursue this wisdom because it's old. And we don't pursue it, you know, in that sense because it's cool and ancient. We pursue this wisdom precisely and specifically as followers of Jesus. And I just have to confess that in my teaching, you just need to know this, that in my teaching, I have a very, very strong bias towards Jesus. I'm just kind of nuts about him. I mean, I actually hold him in my heart to be the smartest, the most integrous, the most comp- that he has in himself the most comprehensive knowledge of all things human and divine. And so on that basis, I have actually chosen to follow him because I'm really nuts about him. And you know one of the things that that helps with is now when one of my friends say, I, I think I want to try out Buddhism, I can just be relaxed about that. It doesn't throw me off at all because I've decided I've checked it out. And I don't think there's a very coherent worldview in Buddhism. There's some cool practices. I'm happy when people start centering themselves, or meditating, and if, if it's helping them, fine, great. But there's no coherent worldview there. There's not one in Zoroastrianism. I, don't, I, I think the worldview of, of Christianity is better than the one of Islam. I've actually made a choice. But see, once you make that choice deep within you and you actually get on the Jesus way and you get hooked with him, then you, don't, you, you find yourself not being defensive about any of that or uptight because you just know that there's an operating system at play in the world that is more profound than Google who found your, the site you were looking for in 0.2 seconds. You think God's up in heaven going, dang it, I'm having a hard time keeping up with Google. You know, uh, when my people pray to me, I don't answer as fast as Google finds your website in less than two seconds. You know, it's just this basic, once you make this basic choice, then then you have the possibility of living increasingly a non-anxious life about all the things that are going on around you. So let me say again as we close that one of the very biggest decisions anyone can ever make is this. What is the source of your wisdom? From whom are you learning to do life? Who will teach you? Who will you follow? And obviously what I want to commend this morning is this, that keeping company with Jesus, making that basic decision imparts a kind of life that has a genuinely different quality to it. For Jesus said that obedience to his wisdom is the abundant life. This Jesus, who I'm nuts about, said, obedience to my wisdom is the path to abundant life. Thank you for listening. For more information about Holy Trinity Church, please visit us online at www.myholytrinitychurch.com.